I'd like to thank God, and Pastor Mick, uh, the elders, uh, Dave and Chris, for the gracious invitation once again to be with you this morning. Uh, we're delighted to be with you this morning to be able to bring God's message. Uh, such an honor, such a privilege that Basima and I have been looking forward to uh, in the months uh, prior. Uh, last year when I was here, we didn't have a pastor, and uh, it's good to be able to meet a Mick and to be able to get to know him. He's a, one who loves the Word of God and puts the gospel at the center of the ministry. So continue to encourage him, continue to give him support, cherish him, be generous towards him and Crystal and their family. Uh, and as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 17, make his ministry here a delight, not a burden. So continue to encourage your pastor. He's a great man of God and continue to pray for him. Let's bow for a word of prayer and then we'll dive into our passage for this morning. Father, we come this morning into your word. Father, our hearts yearn and hunger for you. Father, we pray that you will open your words to us because without your words, we will perish in our afflictions as the psalmist says. So Father, I pray that you will open us to you and to your word right now as your word is being opened. Guard me from error. Help us to focus again on our Lord Jesus Christ and his gracious gospel. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Nowadays, more and more people are buying clothing online. Uh, if, if you ask many online shopaholics, they will tell you to be mindful of labels like large, medium, or small. Why? Because every online company or every online store will have a different measurement for what large is, what small is. So if you want to buy online, online shopaholics will tell you you need to measure rather than depend on labels like large, medium, or small. But where did these labels come from? If you go back to the 1920s, there are no dress sizes. Why? Because you make your own dresses and shirts at home. But when the Industrial Revolution rolls around by the 1920s, clothing began to be available for sale. And clothing, like a shirt, would be measured by its chest size. If it's a dress, uh, the, usually the hip and the waist measurements are not given. Why? Because it's assumed that women will be able to rectify and be able to correct those dresses for themselves. But by the 1940s, measurements were more defined. So you have begun to have uh, chest, uh, hips and waist sizes being more defined. And some countries, for instance, the government will even standardize dress and shirt sizes. But the 1980s brought a new revolution to the clothing and fashion industry. There is what is called vanity sizing. You see, many customers, especially women, want to appear slim. So if everything is large, if you're going to buy an XXL dress, it's not good for the XL esteem. People are not comfortable. and don't feel good if they have to buy an XXL uh, dress. So in effort to sell more dresses on uh, uh, manufacturers, reduce the dress sizes. For instance, in the U.S., a Sears 1937 catalog with a person having a 32-inch chest would buy a dress of a, a size 14. By 1967, it's reduced to size 8. By 2011, the same person with the same physique buys a dress for size 0. <laughs> Why? 
People in general want to appear smaller and slimmer than they really are. Nobody wants to admit that they wear an XXL size. They would prefer to wear a size zero than an XXL, even though they may be of the same size. If you read 1 Samuel chapter 7, you will discover, 17, sorry, you will discover that everything is huge. Everything here is measured in the size of XXL. Even the chapter itself is long. It's the longest chapter in the book of Samuel, consisting of 58 verses. <laughs> I remember when I was 10 years old, I received my first Bible from my Sunday school teacher. My Sunday school teacher wants us to read the Bible for ourselves. The first story I wanted to read was the story of David and Goliath. Being a child in Sunday school, I love that story. So I asked my Sunday school teacher where I can find David and Goliath, and she showed me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I was very disappointed when I read the chapter, because the chapter only had three verses of action, of David fighting Goliath. I wanted to see that, I wanted to read that for myself, but only had three verses. The rest of the chapter is filled with people talking and talking and talking, and names of places I couldn't even pronounce. Oh, I was very, very disappointed. But why? I think First Samuel chapter 17 wants to teach us a very important lesson. That's why the chapter is huge. That's why if you read the first few verses, there are lots of plays, names. That's why the dialogues go on forever and ever. Why? To bring up one lesson, and that is fear distorts the way we see things. First Samuel chapter 17 tells of the time when the Philistines were fighting Israel in all because they wanted a very large and fertile area known as the Elah Valley. And they were everywhere. The Philistine, the word Philistine or Philistines appears 35 times in this chapter. They were everywhere. But in reality, the Philistines were not as huge as they appeared to be. Because of the fear of the people, they saw the Philistines everywhere. The Philistines were actually uh, smaller in terms of size compared to the Israelites. They only owned five cities, while the Israelites owned more. They had a far younger history. They, They dissipated far quicker and earlier than Israel. But fear allows us to distort the way we see reality. And fear also has a way to distort the way we see the size of our enemies. If you turn to your Bibles in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4, you read that the Philistines had a champion. And I read, verse 4, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. In today's term, he was about nine feet and nine inches. He was tall even in today's standard. And we also read that the Goliath himself was also very well equipped. The Bible tells us that Goliath had five intimidating weapons with him. If you read at verse 5, you will see that he had a bronze helmet, number one, on his head. He had a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shackles. Everything is big, 5,000 shackles. In his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and uh, he had a bronze javelin, which was hung on his back. Verse 7, his spear um, shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron pointed weighs 600 shackles. Everything is huge here, in an 
XXL size. He even had a shield barrier that went ahead of him. Fear makes even our enemies look big. But in reality, Goliath wasn't really that fearful. Sure, Goliath was tall. But Saul, the king of Israel, was tall too. Because if you read Samuel in its context, twice we are told in 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 2 and chapter 10 verse 23, we are told that Saul himself was also tall. He was from his shoulders up. He was much taller than all the people. We are told that Saul himself was tall too. Sure, Goliath had intimidating weapons. But if you read on, if you read verses 28 and 29, and 39, you will see, 28 and 29, you will see that Goliath had a bronze helmet. Saul had one too. Goliath had a scale armor. Saul had one too. Goliath had a sword. So Saul had one too. Fear as a way of distorting our vision. I have uh, been reading the story of the late Whitney Houston, the pop singer. Whitney Houston, according to the omniscient Wikipedia, is the most uh, awarded female entertainer of the world. She had sold over 200 million records worldwide. Yet when she was making her first movie, The Bodyguard, she was so fearful that every afternoon after... Uh, being in the movie, she would run to a trailer and she would weep and cry and cry her eyes out. Why? Because she felt that she did not measure up as an actress. Fear makes her look small in terms of her acting skills. And she was so fearful that she was not a good actress that she started consuming lots and lots of drugs that later lead to her downfall. When she was in the mood of depression and being fearful of her role uh, playing this movie, she couldn't see anything else but a lack of ability to perform. Everything else became small. And what was huge was this fear. The fear that she might be a bad actress. Fear is a way of distorting how we see life. I've been, a, I've been a pastor long enough to know and counsel people. When people come to me broken and weepy and crying, often it's because of an issue in life. And that issue in life has become so overblown in their lives that they cannot see any bright light. They cannot see any talent in themselves. They cannot see any opportunities of God working. That fear has distorted them. That all they see is the largeness of their fear. Fear becomes XXL in size. So what's the solution? What's the solution that this passage can give to us? I want to suggest two things of what this passage teaches us this morning. Number one, we need a king who is going to show us that God is trustworthy. Why was Saul, the king of Israel, so fearful? He was afraid of Goliath's height. He was afraid of Goliath's weapons. So what was Saul's strategy? To fight far with far. If Goliath had the best weaponry, then I will use the best weaponry against him. I will use whatever I have against him. So we read in verses 38 and 39. Then Saul dressed David. David here was volunteering to fight Goliath. So he dressed David in his own tuning. He put a coat of armor on him, 
just like Goliath had a, a scale armor, so he put a coat of armor on David. Just like Goliath had a bronze helmet, he put a bronze helmet on David's head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. David says, I cannot go on, on these. Go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. In Sunday school, we've often been taught that David would not wear Saul's armor because you are too big, right? That's how I learned in Sunday school. I don't know how you've learned. But that's not what the Hebrew text says. What does the Hebrew says? David would not put on those armor because he was not used to them. The, the Hebrew text actually says he would not put on those armor because of kid nisiti, which means the armor was not trustworthy or not to be tested. What is David saying here? David would not put on Saul's armor because to him, Saul's armor will let him down. They are not trustworthy. But, excuse me, David, Goliath had all these armory. Goliath had a bronze helmet too. Why, what's wrong with a bronze helmet? For David, they are not trustworthy. So David, what is your alternative? What then is trustworthy? Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. What was David's alternative? The name of the Lord. We are sometimes so overwhelmed in our fear and we think, if I can have the best acting skills, like Whitney Houston would say, then I would not need to fear. But David tells us, God tells us, those are not trustworthy. Sometimes we are so depressed because if I only get that job I wanted, then I would not be fearful anymore. But God says, that's not trustworthy. What is trustworthy? The name of the Lord. Because the name of the Lord helps us and God is trustworthy even when we are powerless, when we do not have the strength to do it. But God does the fighting for us. Sinclair Ferguson tells the story about the time when he was a little boy. He visited a relative who was paralyzed completely. There was only one thing that this paralyzed relative could do with his body. He could move his head a little bit. So whenever he wanted a cup of tea, he would look at where the teacups are and he would move his head a little bit. And then the, his wife automatically will come and gift the, uh, him a cup of tea. And whenever he was on the wheelchair, he wanted something. He, when he was hungry, he would just make guttural noises. And every time when he growled, his wife of 21 years would run. And she had like the gift of interpretation, knew what he wanted and gift whatever he wanted in front of him. St. Clair Ferguson was very amazed by this. And he said this, sometimes we too are paralyzed and we don't know how to pray. But God is so trustworthy in the midst of our weakness, he comes and he shows us what we really need. All we need is to just cry out to Him. But He helps us in our weaknesses. Because the name of the Lord Himself is trustworthy. But there is a second lesson that this passage teaches us. We need a king to give us 
new eyes. What is the cause of fear? It's our eyes, isn't it? Saul was afraid of Goliath because he saw this champion who was tall and had all this armory with him. But one chapter earlier, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God had another king chosen, and his name was David. And why did God choose David? David was different than all other kings. Because 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, People looked at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Goliath, uh, Saul was just like the other people. He just looked at outward appearance. And when the outward over appearance overwhelmed him, fear to overwhelmed him. But God had another king in mind, and that's David. But what was it in David's heart that God looked to and God really admired? His heart sees not Goliath, but the glory of God. It's a different set of eyes. So that's where do I find this? Look with me at verse 26. Incidentally, this is the first time we read of David speaking in 1 Samuel. This is the first of his public appearance where he speaks for the first time. And we begin to see David's heart here. David asked the man standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistines and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he may defile the armies of the living God? David saw how Goliath defiled the armies of the living God. What was in David's heart? That in David's heart was the honor of God. What was wrong with Goliath? Not because he was tall. Not because of his intimidating army. But what was wrong with Goliath was that Goliath did not honor God and defiled God. And David saw with his eyes God's glory. When uh, in, when I'm in, uh, uh, I'm a pastor in East Kilor, and I teach a connect group, a small Bible study group, every Wednesday. And not too long ago, I decided to teach on the, a passage that I'll be preaching the following Sunday. And when I preached the pas- when I taught that passage within our small group, uh, it was a very difficult passage, quite a controversial passage. And then a couple of people in the small group that was opposing and uh, trying to make things difficult. And one lady even said, I don't get anything out of this. I don't get anything out of this. And my first reaction was to listen to them, to be fearful. And say, okay, I need to change. Perhaps I shouldn't even preach on this passage this coming Sunday. And I I need to listen to what these people are saying. Perhaps I should get rid of this. And fear overwhelmed me. And I felt so discouraged at night. When one of the elders in the church, an old man that doesn't say too much, he's turning 80 this week, he came up to me and says, your job is not to please your church members. Your job is to study the scriptures well. And to do things that give honor to the glory of God. And God will take care of the rest. And that's, that's what David does. He wanted to magnify, protect, glorify the honor of God. And then God takes care of all our fears. David has new eyes. So what's the take home message? Are we to be like David? Strong, courageous. You'll find that David himself is not reliable. 
Many pastors will say, Oh, be courageous like David. Be courageous like David. Have new eyes. See God's glory in your midst of your difficulties. Four chapters later, David himself is going to turn into Saul. Why do I say that? In Samuel, chapter, Samuel chapter 21, David himself is going to go back to Goliath's hometown of Gath. It's interesting. This is Goliath's hometown. And David who used to look to God and the glory of God and the honor of God now turns into Saul. In the presence of Achish, the king of Gath, David is going to crumble with fear. And he's going to pretend to be mad. He's going to make markings on the door. He's going to let a saliva flow all over his beard. Why? Because fear will overwhelm him. He will turn into another Saul. What is this teaching us? We will never get rid of fear on our own. No matter how strong and courageous you are. We will never fight for the glory of God. We will only look to our own selfish means. We will, when we see fear, we will only see our, our lack. We will not see how God equips us. We need another king to give us new eyes. David could not do that. Don't think we can. We need David's greater son, also from Bethlehem, called Jesus Christ. Because this passage ought to lead us, and the book of 1 Samuel ought to lead us to self-despair. It says, unless there is a king to give us new eyes, to see beyond our fear, and to see the glory of God, and to see how God takes care of us when we see the glory of God, and we fight for His glory, we will all be doomed. We need David's greatest son, and that is Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 9 verse 51, there's a very important verse in the life of the ministry of Jesus. The Bible tells us, when the time appeared for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out towards Jerusalem. When it was time for him to face his greatest sphere, which is the cross, which is death, with public humiliation, Jesus did not run away. Jesus did not turn like Saul and look at his own inadequacies, but he resolutely set out unflinchingly towards Jerusalem because he has a different heart. And that Bible, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because though David was victorious here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, four chapters later, he is going to fail. We cannot do this by our own strength. We need Jesus Christ to come into our lives, to be the new king, to give us new eyes, to see even in the midst of our most difficult and fearful times, to see that we need to fight for the glory of God, that we need to have new hearts to see beyond our circumstances to Him. We need a Savior. So if you are struggling with the fears in your life, it's not enough just to be courageous. This is not a self-awareness talk. This is the gospel message that we need to turn to Jesus Christ 
who himself does not waver, unlike David, and endured the cross, he will give us a new heart, a regenerated heart, and a set of new eyes to see the glory of our God. There is a painting by Max Gabriel that's hanging in the Louvre in Paris. It's sometimes called The Last Token. It describes the day when the early church was being persecuted. And the painting depicts a lady that was uh, sent to, the, to be fed to the lions. And this was a maiden that was standing there in the amphitheater where she was to be eaten up by wild beasts. So she was standing there with her back towards the wall of the the amphitheater. And on top of the theater were people jeering at her, shouting to put her to death, to put her to death, to put her to death. And everybody was just shouting all kinds of evil towards this Christian lady. And on the other side of the painting, the iron gates was already halved open. And we could see that the, when the iron gates opened, there was a dent of lions and wild beasts behind. And one of the lions was already crawling out of the, of the gates with luster of, of blood in its eyes, ready to devour this woman, ready to kill her and eat her alive. And this lady was dressed in white. She stands only a few feet away from these wild beasts that were marching out of the gates and coming to devour her. But she had this face of a a serenity of peace on her face and on the feet lies a white rose as it was painted and she was as if looking into the crowd her eyes were not even on the beast her eyes were not even on the people jeering at her she was just looking she was just looking intently at perhaps a lover perhaps a brother in Christ was thrown a rose down to remind her that she did not need to fear. And she was just looking intently. So even in the midst of all the beasts coming towards her, even in the midst of people jeering towards her, even though she knew that her life was coming to an end, she had this peace on her face. Because her eyes were not on her problems. Her eyes was on the glory of God, that this is for the glory of God. And God, if you fight for His glory, and what magnifies Him, God takes care of the rest. And how can we have eyes to see? Not by our own strength, but we need to ask Jesus to give us new hearts, new eyes, to see God in the midst of our difficult times. Father, we come to you this morning with our hearts bowed before you. The gospel is not a feel-good message about how we can empower ourselves. But the gospel speaks to our helplessness. Because even David, the man that his heart set on God, can fail. Four chapters later, he failed and turned into Saul. Father, by our own strength, we cannot please you. We need Jesus in our lives. Father, in every circumstance, may the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ be at the center. There are some of us this week that have been facing lots of fears in your life. Thank God for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord did not waver in times of pain. 
and through Him, we can look to the glory of God. Don't walk away from your fears, but ask Jesus, what magnifies God? How you can magnify Him? And let Jesus flood that by working in your life and my life. Father, we come broken before you and realize, Father, we have no strength by our own strength to serve you. Break us so that we embrace Jesus again. Teach us what it means to trust you afresh again. Create within us a new heart, not made of stone but of flesh. Give us new eyes to see that you are far greater than the fears of this world. Sin will magnify the fears of this world, but Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ magnify the cross and Jesus. So Father, we come before you and we pray that you will once again impress upon us of your greatness and power. In Jesus' name, Amen.